This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, I don't know. I want to make a website, but I don't know what kind of website to make. But is there a place I could go to make a website to help people figure out good ideas for websites? You could make a website that would teach people who, who know how to use websites how to make websites. <laughs> Thanks in part oh, yeah. to our sponsors this week, Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace will help you make a website about making websites using their beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They've got free and secure hosting. There is nothing to patch or upgrade ever, and they have 24-7 award-winning customer support if you run into trouble. We use Squarespace, and I know how to use it, and I don't know anything else about websites. That's true. I just know how to use this one. (laughs) That's how easy it is to use Squarespace. So if you want to make your own website... Uh, or you want to see Andrew make his, what? Go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial, and when you launch, use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace, making websites about websites so you can make a website. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we're here. It's June. It's time to read books. That's all I got. That's yep. it. A summer A summer for books. A summer. The summer of books. Nothing else going on. Nothing of at note. all. Anywhere. Yeah. Actually, there's what you, a lot. What's our, <laughs> I just, what, what, is, what is our podcast about, though? Our podcast, um, our is podcast, which tries to be an island in the middle of all the other stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come in and hang out with hang out with us for like an hour. Yeah. Um, we need it. You need it. Hopefully, we can all get there. Yeah, we're gonna talk about a book that one or both of us has not read before. Um, Andrew read the book for this episode. He's gonna tell me about it, and then you will leave the episode knowing a little bit more about it than you did before. That's how it works. That's how it's mostly always worked, and that's how it's mm-hmm. going to work this week. Andrew, what mm-hmm. did you read for the show? I read the tragic comic Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. Okay, cool. Whose name you might also know from the Bechtel test, which is the sort of media litmus test that in a given work looks for two women. It's, it's three criteria. It has two women, which is the first one, for talking to each other, a second criteria. Third criteria is about something that's not a man. Yes. We will revisit that because uh, she has also advocated it for it to be called the Bechtel-Wallace test. Yeah, know. based on like the the person who she sort of co-invented the idea with yeah. or who invented the idea. Yeah. I'm not sure, but yeah. Um, so Alison Bechtel... Uh, was born in 1960 in Lock Haven, PA, Beach Creek, Northern PA is where she grew up. Um, and this work is very autobiographical, so I think we d- there's like limited value in doing too much deep diving without getting into the book itself. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if very autobiographical is even a, a thing. I feel like <laughs> it is just an autobiography. <laughs> sure. Okay. It gets it gets put under like memoir and autobiography. Um, yeah. But 
So she grew up uh, in Northern PA. Um, she attended Oberlin College, which I only really have any understanding of because we went to a college nearby. And when you do that, you just choose to think of the other colleges as rivals, not mm-hmm. because you actually know anything about them. Um, yeah. But that's how it works. Uh, and so she is, you know, a cartoonist and writer. Um, after like a series of post college jobs, she started uh, a comic series, Dykes to Watch Out For, it's called. Um, and it was first published in Woman News in 1983, uh, which was based on like a single like sketch that she had drawn. Uh, there's a from the FAQ on her website. Uh, one day I drew a picture in the margin of a deranged naked woman holding a coffee pot and called it Marianne, dissatisfied with the breakfast brew plate number 27, and drew some more deranged women doing different things in hopes that one day I would really rack up 27 of them. Uh, and then a friend suggested that she get it into a feminist newspaper. And over the over years, it became some multi-panel strips, some single-panel drawings with a caption. Uh, it was collected... For the first time, I think, in 1986, there have been other collections since. And it ran officially until 2008, uh, after she moved into cartooning full-time in 1990. She did take a break from it indefinitely to finish her second graphic memoir, Are You My Mother? Uh, mm-hmm. Which came out in 2012. And then she brought it back... Uh, in 2016 following Trump's election for a few for like three strips right yeah it it seemed to have a similar like it crashed the website when it came back it was like when they launched relaunched the toast for a little while there and everyone like <laughs> ran to it which speaks to I think uh, the the fan base it had and, and the cultural space it was occupying um, mm-hmm. and the Bechtel test itself I think comes from a 1985 strip. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, as you said, Andrew, it's two uh, women discussing that she said she didn't she was struggling to come up with an idea for her next comic and got into a conversation with her friend, I think Liz Wallace, um, talking about this. I'll only see a movie if it has at least two women in it who talk to each other, talk to each other about something besides a man. Uh, and then the punchline of the comic is that the last movie that they could see was Alien, um, <laughs> which is pretty good. Yeah, that's a good joke. Uh, And it's gone on to become, as you said, kind of a litmus test for inclusion and representation. Uh, Yeah, and it's it's not necessarily like a like a binary thing where if it passes, it's it is a positive representation that's doing good work. Yes, if it doesn't, then it is not doing those things. But but it is a it's an interesting lens through which to examine. Uh, a given work and like the position that women have in it. There's also some like market research that suggests that movies that pass the test perform better financially than movies that don't. I feel like things should not have to prove that they make money before they become valid ideas, but that's just the world we live in apparently. Yeah. There's some attempts to quantify that data and five thirty eight published a big article about it that also looked at the fact that films that pass it, uh, generally had lower median budgets, so then some of the return, like they're more profitable, even though maybe their their earnings are not like gross higher. You know, it's all sorts of gross. All, all sorts of stuff that attempts to scientifically back up something that was really trying to just put forward kind of an emotional thesis about representation. 
um, because you can get into some bad faith critiques of the methodology of the test when you're just ignoring the, you know. Um, It did inspire uh, some, like, what is it? The Finkbeiner test, I think it's called, which is a, uh, I want to make sure I get it right. Yeah, the Finkbeiner test, which is about avoiding gender bias in science reporting. Um, And there's a couple of questions there about, like, if you're quoting a woman scientist, uh, don't mention a bunch of, you know, gendered biographical information that might, you know, introduce unnecessary biases into the writing. Um, yeah, 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 it's it's just it it has spurred a lot of conversation, and I think it has gone farther and been used a bit more specifically than Bechtel ever intended. Considering it was twenty five years between when she made a comic and it became this like thing that everybody that talked everybody about on every about. TV show or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, it, I mean, it is just a if if nothing else, it is a useful tool to get you thinking about okay i'm creating a a fictional work what kind of people do i have in it and what are they doing and talking about yeah yeah. and hopefully like the bechdel test would be a starting point and then you'd kind of extrapolate out from there like representation wise and uh and cover more different kinds of perspectives yep after that that's the hope uh, she was a fellow at the University of Chicago. She received one of the MacArthur Genius Grants. In 2017, she was named the third cartoonist laureate of the state of Vermont because that's where the Center for Cartoon Studies is. <laughs> uh, they have a Schultz Library, which I just learned about for this podcast. Wait, who's, who, is that like a government thing or is they, it just like some, some institution does it? An, or like how, where, where does this office's power flow the from? The Center for Cartoon Studies is its own entity. I think it does have some affiliations with higher ed in the state of Vermont, but I don't know that it is state run. It probably gets like states arts arts and humanities money or something Mm -hmm. because it's vermont who knows what they're doing up there yeah right Um, ice cream and bernie sanders (laughs) and uh, who knows (laughs) um so this book fun home came out in 2006 uh as we said it's an autobiographical comic memoir um it was serialized in a french newspaper before it was collected and published it's been translated into other languages as well won or was nominated for a number of awards, including the 2007 Eisner for, quote, reality-based work. Just a... This, okay. Uh, and I am... Uh, it became... They have it. Nonfiction <laughs> is the word for that, isn't it? Like, yeah. why? Okay. Okay. Uh, I became familiar with the, with the Story of Fun Home when it was adapted into a musical in 2013, um, score by Janine Tesori, who Andrew, in addition to her award-winning work on Carolina Change, also wrote the score for Shrek the Musical, which you might be interested in. Oh, nice. Um, cool. I mean, taking money out of Smash Mouth's yeah. mouth. But, but <laughs> still. Uh, the book and lyrics were by Lisa Crone, who's a playwright that I have taught her work. She's very good. And they were the first all-woman team to win a Tony for Best Score. Uh, it was a finalist for the Pulitzer, won the Tony. Jake Gyllenhaal is going to make it into a movie as soon as he's allowed to. Yeah, um, he's going to be the dad in yes, it, apparently. Yes. Um, and I did. You I mean, allowed to from like a pandemic perspective? Yes, I mean, from a from production like, yeah. perspective. Not be, no, he's great. He, he, I like Jake Gyllenhaal. No, I'm just like the 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 ink on that deal, like rights wise, I think is is dry yes, already. It's correct. just like nobody can make movies yes, right now. <laughs> that's so. true. Um, if you want to read something interesting about the musical, if that's your frame of reference for this, there's an article in the Atlantic called "Selling Queerness: The Curious Case of Fun Home," um, 
and that is all about how they like branded the show with a lot more color and emphasis on like love and family and you know survival than you might expect if you're familiar with the color palette of the original work um right and doesn't issue the fact that it is a queer story but does uh perhaps omit some details of the plot in the effort to market it this is an interesting Mm -hmm. read uh for folks who are familiar with the musical so check that out i i thought it was interesting (laughs) yeah because it's it's not like especially in the back part of the book it becomes a lot about uh Bechtel's like coming out and and her experiences as a as a lesbian in in college in the in the late 70s and it's also about her dad being like closeted for most of his life and it's about their relationship but especially early on there's some stuff about uh Bruce Bechtel her dad that is uh it's pretty borderline, like the kinds of people who he would have uh, clandestine relationships with. So, yeah, we can, we can talk yeah. about that. But I would imagine that that's probably the stuff that got alighted, at least in the marketing. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know the musical well enough to know how it's handled. Um, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Uh, the book's process, I want to give a shout out to, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it took her like six or seven years or something or like that to years. put it together. Yeah. yeah, especially because she used a lot of photo reference and a lot of real w- world material like references. So for some of the images, she would even pose as the characters herself, like in costume, and then use that photo as a reference when drawing. So lots of like staging those photos, um, which I think is an interesting, like almost verisimilitude like an attempt to create a truth to the image which there are some quotes from her because there's also a lot of literary allusions in the book right like lots of different classical texts and things Mm -hmm. and she said in interviews that she has tried to understand her parents through a lot of fictional characters and i just think it's interesting that those like the juxtaposition of those types of references in making this text um that it is you know she is referencing photographs, quote unquote, real things that she had to make, but also referencing these stories to try and understand them as characters. Um, I don't know. It, she she also has remarked on how this book got picked up not just by comics reviewers and people who were reading graphic novels. Like it got serious, quote unquote, serious reviews from like the New York Times and people who and I, in that New York Times review, it's like this has, book has a lot of interesting words. I had to go to a dictionary to look up some words and <laughs> yeah, how good the writing is, and that's not normal for this type of thing, um, which just helped it break through. She said she counts herself as very lucky to have written it when she did. Is kind of how she puts it. Like a few years earlier, it might not have gotten atten- the attention that it did. Um, and based on the content, it's been challenged a lot in public libraries. Um, surprisingly yeah, geez, weren't there like republicans in the south carolina legislature who tried to cut a college's funding by exactly the amount that they had set aside for like a summer reading program yep. that was going to focus on this yep 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 um it's great that that's the way some elected officials choose to spend their time and and resources. There was a it's whole really cool. There was a whole dust up at Duke where an incoming freshman they had like they had put it on the reading list for the incoming freshman, and some kid was like, according to my beliefs, I won't expose myself to pornography, 
and it's like what and that was a whole thing it's just like okay people are gonna find a reason to be upset and that's i don't agree with getting upset about this <laughs> <laughs> just, that's where I am. Um, let's get into the book, Andrew, so that we uh, can get into where Bechtel's coming from and what the story is, I guess. Sure. Uh, you, so you talked about the color palette. I can just like, I, I can talk about that first, just like the form that yeah, the, the book takes. It is a, I think it's a six or seven chapter like graphic novel uh, done in you know bl- black ink and then colored not with it, it's not like fully colored it is colored with different shades of blue okay it's like a blue wash effect or something I think it's called yeah um I looked up uh, are you my mother because I I was kind of I'm kind of interested just to read it because it didn't take you know it didn't take long to read fun home and I like her mother is a character in this but she does not have I don't think a complete arc like the, the book is not primarily interested in her like it, it is not about where she came from and and the things that make her tick it's just about how she exists like relative to Bechtel and and her dad sure um which is just that's just the focus of the book so that that's just a, a fact but anyway uh are you my mother is colored the same way but with shades of red instead okay okay which I thought was an interesting choice um does that like does that just put you in a mood as the reader? Does it make you interact with the images in any particular way? It's just, it, it is an interesting effect because I think most of the graphic novels I've read have either been fully colored or not. Like uh, From Hell, I think, was all inks. Yeah, 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 and yeah. And no color. And then like Watchmen and some of the Batman yep, graphic novels, yep. um, those are fully colored. And the colorist is like in, like, is, is part of that creative process. Uh, but this is a solo work by Bechtel. Like, she is, she is the writer and the, and the artist and the colorist all in one, which is not always the, the case with big graphic sure, novels. Sure, like sure. So it's the first chapter is is talking about her dad like he is a it is it's about who he is and and like her childhood sort of growing up in a house with him like he was very strict and he was very concerned with appearances and and facades like it, it it's primarily she's they primarily talk about this big old house that they live in that he was just obsessed with sort of refurbishing and they weren't super rich or anything, but they did live in this big fancy looking house that her dad had put all this time and energy into. And that's why it looked the, the way it looked, but you know, anybody who I'm not anybody, but a a person who does this sort of thing, like puts that (laughs) much work into something may also be, you know, um, very unforgiving when it comes to, I don't know how how kids behave in the house or like what kind of furniture is is in it and how comfortable it actually is versus how it looks like it, it is all about how her dad's constructed this this image and he is very image obsessed himself like there's this there's this bit about how like an offhand comment about his tie or something could just like send him running back upstairs like spiraling trying to pick another tie like it's it's the 70s so he wears a a tie with a peace sign on it, and I think it's oh. Bechtel's little brother says, "Oh, peace, man," to him, and that <laughs> sets him off. Oh no! <laughs> I've never really gotten into 
Oh, sorry. Before you, before you, another just mood setting, yep. like to explain to you how Bechtel is presenting her father. She specifically cites the bit of um, It's a Wonderful Life where Jimmy Stewart comes home and Uncle Billy has just lost that money like a stupid idiot because nepotism is bad. Yeah. And he yells at all the kids and at Mary and he's just in a really bad mood. And so she's like, it's it's like Jimmy Stewart in that scene, but Forever. kind of all the time. Okay. Yeah. Awful. That sucks. I was going to say I've never really gotten into novelty ties, but... I, you you made an important point. <laughs> That's you know. No, the, we can talk about the novelty tie thing too. I, I because I'm not above in college. I was like novelty t-shirt guy. Yeah, sure, I know that. And then I went through uh, like we're adults for Christ's sakes phase. Oh, you and now you're, I'm you're into like it? a novelty sock. You are in a novelty sock mode. Okay, sure. Yeah, which is like which is more which is as expressive or even more expressive, but more subtle. <laughs> Well, and you wear socks every day. You don't wear a tie do, every day. Yeah, I wear ties not very often. Yes, I think I have a, I have a, I have a tie with skulls and bones on it that I think cool. I got as a gift when I did a play about hmm. bones, like about Ooh, bones. grave digging. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you were going to talk about the show bones. Not the show bones or the bone zone, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a tie with bones on it. That's not probably the only goofy tie I have. Anyway, that's what this man's peace tie made me think of. And <laughs> when um, Susanna's grandfather moved from the house they had been living in into like an assisted living facility, and they were kind of shedding possessions just to try and get everything to fit, there was a like a Star Trek novelty tie with. Uh, the Enterprise and like Deep Space Nine and some other stuff on it. And it is very much my deal, but it is from the 90s. And so it is like two feet no. wide. And I just don't know how I could wear it. Wide ties bum me out. I, mm, I, they're so wide. And I guess I could probably figure out how to fix it if I really wanted to. But I just have not, oh not done that. Okay. Not, not devoted the time. <laughs> well, now that we've devoted the time to talk about ties. Um, so he's Jimmy Stewart. In that section. He's mean Jimmy Stewart in that one part of It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. Okay. Which I assume, and and from later in the book, you get this impression a little bit. I assume this means that sometimes he is mean, and then right after he feels bad about it and tries to make up for it. But it's mostly, uh, he's kind of aloof and distant and hard to read. And that's the... One thing I would comment on about Bechtel's art style through this is like all of her characters sort of, I mean, it's, it's mostly it is using resting facial expressions. Oh, okay. Which just makes everyone in the, especially her dad is like very rarely seen smiling or, or doing any showing any emotion at all. Um, I don't know that we're meant to read that as, as a, like a literal truth. But it does, it makes him and all the other people in the book just sort of look perpetually nonplussed about everything. Are they similar in the type of nonplussed that they are based on the art style? Like, is the expression pretty much the same? Depend, no, you know, no matter who the character is, or does she have like different versions of nonplussed for different people? No, it's it's pretty similar for most of them, yeah. and some of some of that is just the family resemblance. Okay, but. okay. Um, like I can show you a screenshot, just I'll drop it into Slack. Sure. So you can comment on it on the on the air. But like here is a here is a 
group scene with a bunch of characters in it. And you, I think you can kind of see what I'm talking about in here. Oh, yeah. Yes. The Everyone's pupils go in the same kind of, I don't want to do this direction. <laughs> like, no yeah. one... And, of course, this this is at a funeral, it looks to be, this, this particular image. It is. Image. I mean, so yeah. we can talk about the name of the thing after you get done with your observation. Sure, here, but. sure. Um, but it's just everyone has that kind of, like, ugh, here we go. No one... But they're not, like, sharing that feeling with anyone. They are experiencing it on their in their own body. In the, you if know. you were... If you are imagining an eye shape, it is like flat line on top and then curved line yes. on the bottom yes. and then dot a pupil in there somewhere. And if you were to try and like trace their eye angle, even as they are talking to other people, it is always, it all looks downcast, you know? Um, interesting. Okay. Okay. And like mouths are small. There's not a lot of emotion in the mouth. Yeah, it's definitely not like a Calvin and Hobbes style. Like, yeah, you get a you, when you get more excited, you get a big old mouth. For most, yeah, for most of these characters, almost exclusively, the eyes are larger than the mouth, and the eyes are not big either. Like, it's not mm-hmm. you know we're not dealing it with like manga or manga, excuse me. Um. <laughs> manga being the the comic like graphic novel yeah. version of anime of yeah, course of course people know you and your pronunciations okay so do you want to talk about maybe what fun home is what do you want to talk about fun home has a has a double meaning it is the so her dad his main his like day job is he runs a funeral home like that's that's been in the family for a while and as the book unfolds you get get more of an idea of how small his world has been through his his whole life like until he dies um but yeah it's it's a like a family-owned funeral home he runs it and their their shorthand name for it is the fun home okay fun being short for funeral <laughs> sure I mean, maybe they pronounce it fun home I but doubt. i don't think that's supposed to be <laughs> I don't think that's how they're supposed to read it. No, I do not think so. Okay. And then, I mean, and then it's also just like, this is, this book is about my childhood and it was not always great. What a fun home to live in. Woof. Is the other meaning. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I buy that. Um, So what is her relationship with her dad? Does it change from that, like, Jimmy Stewart aloofness? Yeah, you don't... It's only kind of in the last chapter or two of the book, which become more about her. So her dad dies and we learned this pretty early on. Her dad dies in like 1980 when she is uh, like 20 or 21. I want to say like, I don't think quite 21 actually, because they try to go to a bar and they get bounced because she doesn't have ID. But um, her dad dies when she's an adult, like a young adult, but an adult nevertheless. So she's, she has had like, her childhood with him, like everything you get from a parent up until you move away to school or like start to forge out on your own. But like before I think most people lose their parents Yeah, and she like, he is hit by a, like a sunbeam bread truck. Like that's, she's very specific about sure. He was hit by, but he was, he's like refurbishing some old, farmhouse or something that's a few miles away from where they live and he and her mom had just asked him for a divorce like a couple of weeks before 
And so he was just working. And then the truck driver says he like jumped backwards into the road as the truck was coming. And so there it is not definitively a suicide, but Bechtel treats it as one. Like she assumes that was his intent and that is is what we the reader, you know, are that come into their relationship with that backdrop. How he died. Okay. Yeah. And so then the and then the rest of the book you are like slotting that information into the rest of their interactions, right? It's like Yeah, like there is there is a all their interactions, like th- there is a finality to Oh, sure. Yeah. It, you know, it, it is not a like with her mom, and maybe this is why there are not that many interactions with with her mom in there. It's just like their story and how they relate to each other and what they are to each other is not like finished yet. It's not it's not set in stone yet. Yeah. At least as of the time that Bechtel is is writing about. Whereas her relationship with her dad, it has, and this I, I guess this gets into sort of the literary bent of the book too. But it has is a story that has a beginning and an ending. And so all you can do is go back to like your memories of that period and like records of that period and just unpack it and think about it like over and over again, where, where with a living person is not who, who you're, you're still regularly interacting with. Like it, it is maybe harder to put yourself in that position or, or get that kind of perspective on it. Even that Does makes, that make no, sense? that makes total sense that it actually aligns with a quote from the New York times review by Sean Wilsey, Um, who says, My copy began with the following unmissable notation titled Alison Bechtel on Creating Fun Home. And this is a quote from Bechtel, I guess. I've always been a careful archivist of my own life. I've kept a journal since I was 10. I've been logging my income and expenses since I was 13. All this detritus came in handy as I wrote Fun Home. As a corrective to the inevitable distortions of memory, I discovered that the actual documentary truth was almost always richer and more surprising than the way I had remembered a particular event and it was certainly more interesting than any possible way I could have fictionalized it. And then Wilsey goes on to praise that as with you know this being a very honest memoir, um, if it were fiction, it would be meaningless. The, the meaning is derived from kind of knowing that Bechdel is working through this memory and working towards a truth for herself. Um, and she doesn't, and to your point then, she doesn't have that, there, there is future to look towards with her mom not just the like finite past and memory of her relationship with her dad. Um, is there a sense of like her digging through stuff in the, in the text as you read it or how does that manifest? Oh, for sure. Like a, a lot of what you actually read are um, like artistically rendered uh diary entries oh, okay. or like letters that, that her dad or, or that she wrote. Um, and that's there is there is one chapter that is that is is a lot about. Well, I, I guess it's not even one chapter. It's like at at some point you get introduced to her practice of uh, writing everything down, and so she struggles with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder a little bit too, and just talking about how those things intersect and how she came up with like a shorthand for things that she was like hesitant about or like she she got into this into this mindset where she was writing down everything that happened like painstakingly but also like really 
feeling nervous or, or strange about uh, listing her interpretation of events as like the the facts of what had happened. Like even even one where she is watching the Brady Bunch or something. She writes, she just has this little tiny superscript, I think, that she starts writing <laughs> after like statements of what we would think of as statements of fact. And then like from there, it becomes like a symbol that gets written over every word. And huh. there are some entries where it's just like that giant symbol is on the whole page. And I assume this is all like actually stuff that's present in that diary. Yeah, seems, I mean, seems like that was her process was to be as true to that as possible, whether or not she remembered it being there. Huh. Yeah. But I mean, because it's, because it's a, it's a graphic novel. I can't, I unfortunately couldn't like highlight specific (laughs) (laughs) things that I wanted to make sure that, that, I came back to, but there is a section in here where she's like, I'm glad I wrote all this down because if I just had to try and remember it, I would have told myself like, surely it could not be this detailed or this like weird. Yeah. Okay. You know, sure. Um, are there other major scenes that you want to make sure we at least mention or like major events in her life that are worth like, you know, saying, Oh, this happens or this advances her relationship with her dad. So we we alluded to this earlier in the discussion, but the big like parallel that's that's happening in this book, like the, the thing that it sort of closes on is um, Bechtel herself, like her coming out and and like becoming aware of her own like homosexuality uh, compared against her dad who had been closeted. And I guess she realizes that this like signs had been there. And that it had affected their entire like family dynamic forever, but that she wasn't like explicitly aware of it until after she came out to her parents herself. Okay. And this was not very long before her dad died. So like it, it is not presented as some regret that she didn't tell him, but the, the number of interactions that they had once they both knew about each other were like a co- there were like a couple of them. Sure. And that was it. Sure. Um, in the first chapter, or the first couple especially, and I'm, I'm the lines between chapters blur a lot in my mind because it is it's the kind of book that goes back and forth a lot, and and sometimes like you will learn something in one chapter and then it will be revisited and expanded upon with more information in another chapter in a way that um makes it hard for me to remember just off the top of my head where exactly each like individual event happened. But we are we are told that her dad had uh, uh, gay relationships with like babysitters of of theirs, and like he was he's an English teacher, so like his high school students. It is not explicitly said that these are like underage people. Like it it is not clear that that's that's what we're supposed to understand these relationships to be. But it is clear that even if they are of legal age if if they're if they're at the age of consent it is still the power dynamic still yeah wade screwed up like it's still happening secretly it is still a man who is at least twice as old as these people yep yep like getting into a relationship with them so it it is just it is fraught in a lot of of, of ways how does she 
know that information? Like, how does does that come to light in a specific way that like changes the course of their relationship, or is this just something that she learns after his passing, or how does that work? It's 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 one of those things where this is one of the areas where you feel. Bechtel like 20 years after this oh okay. with the benefit of some hindsight relaying events to you like there, there's this thing where her dad like buys a kid some beer and is like dry he, he like picks him up and like offers him a beer and gives it to him and then he drives the the kid home And the kid's like older brother sees the car out the window and knows the car and calls the cops and gets him like nailed for giving alcohol to a minor. But the understanding that Bechtel, the author has, and you know, now that she, she knows what she knows, the understanding that she can see in other characters is that it was about more than that. Okay. Okay. Um, Does that answer your question? That That does answer my question. Um, is she like, what, where does she wind up at the end of this book? Does, does the narr does like, for lack of a better word, the author slash narrator, like learn new information about herself or is it mostly about just relaying her story to us, the reader? I think it's mo- mostly relaying. So let, let's just talk about the like the ending. Thing sure. A bit, like yeah. The the coming out and the after is she's she and her dad. They you would think from the first couple chapters that their relationship remained like pretty distant, but this isn't a book about like how sucky her dad was mm, in the end. Mm. Um, as she gets older and and as she is in college, like it is actually shown to be a what seems like a pretty close relationship or like close in some ways they talk on the phone and like write letters pretty regularly and a thing that they use to relate to each other is like books and literature and she is one of the ways that she sort of explores and comes to term with terms with her own sexuality is through reading stuff like there is a there's a panel with a stack of books in it that has like Orlando. Oh, sure. That we just read like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. (laughs) Like that, that kind of stuff where she is, and and it's juxtaposed with this, this class that she's taking because she has to reading, uh, Ulysses by James Joyce. Sure. I think. And she is just like bored out of her (laughs) mind by it. Like it's just, it's, (laughs) <laughs> like she talks about like the class that they're in is just going diving so deep into every single parallel between the Odyssey and Ulysses. And she is like, is this really necessary? Like w- once you understand that it is referencing this other work, how much value is there in the classroom setting to like diving down into every single one and making sure you've connected all of the dots correctly and she just she says without the Homeric clues, it would certainly be unreadable. Is where she comes down <laughs> on Ulysses. I would argue that needing to sit around in a classroom and connect those dots is a great way to build a gradable test, and maybe <laughs> the rest of your classroom goals uh, not so much. Well, and it's one of those. The way it's presented in here, it seems like one of those 
classes where you get a professor who's really into the thing oh and sure has, yes. like studied extensively the thing and what you're supposed to talk about when you talk about the thing and then there's like one male student in the class who always is on top of every answer that he's supposed to know about how you're supposed to be reading God, this book so it's just like people repeating scholarship excitedly to each other because it's it becomes about knowing the same facts about a thing it just becomes about fandom in a way this is me sort of editorializing a little bit about what kind of class dynamic that is. Oh, yeah. But. I'm just right now. I'm just going through my brain, just like hoping, just like checking my own memory bank and just hoping I haven't been this person ever. But I really fear that I have ever been this person. I never talked enough in any given class to be this person, I don't think, which is yeah, good. I'm really hoping. And then, and then we made a podcast where all we do is talk. So that's how we get it out of our system. But that's I what guess. we, you know, people, people seem to like it mostly. <laughs> Not all of them, but like a lot of them. Okay, so she's relating to her dad through letters and through literature. Uh, and she, like, it, it is a lot of it is him like recommending books to her. But there's this um, this visit where she goes home like from college i think this is after she's come out but she leaves a, a book there uh she she leaves this book flying by kate millet uh at home and her dad picks it like it, it is it is a thing that her dad has done for her a bunch of times where he just kind of leaves a book around and it's it is a an unspoken understanding that she'll pick it up and she'll read it and so she does this for him with this this book about yeah, and, and Kate Millett's a um like a feminist activist and and um a a big figure in like second wave feminism okay. in particular. Sure. And so and so she leaves this she leaves this book that has been part of um her like Alison Bechtel's uh coming out and like coming to terms with their sexuality and her dad reads it and, and it seems to give him a clearer understanding or like a new lens through which to understand his own homosexuality as well. Okay. And they have a, they have a visit like they, they write a letter. All right. Let me remember the, the chain of events. Like Bechtel comes out to her mom and her dad through a letter. Okay. Her mom is like, it, it is not a disowning her thing, but it is very much talking about like this choice that you're making and, and the kinds of the kind of language that I, I don't think we would, we would use about coming out anymore, like around it being a choice and not a, not just a thing. Yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. You know? And then her dad writes her this letter where he, he is writing as though he knows that she knows that he has also had these experiences, but this is before she actually knew about it. So she was kind of confused about the letter, but her, her mom, like, and this is, this is one of the bigger moments with her mom in the book is where they like start talking to each other, like adults. Um, and, and this is where she finds out that her dad has also like has had uh, same sex relationships and, it sort of reorients her life a little bit because suddenly she understands stuff that, mm. that didn't make, didn't quite make sense to her before. Like this whole thing with the, with the beer buying and like his, the six months of like court ordered counseling that he needed to go and get oh, wow. at that time. And yeah. 
talking about this book is is a little it's hard it's a little frustrating for me because it is a graphic novel and so so much of it is visual and so it is even harder to convey in an audio only medium than <laughs> most of the books that we talk yes. about because at least in a regular book all the imagery is being painted with words and so i can read you the same words in the hope of conveying to you and to the audience the same images but in this i can't like it is it's just weird for me to say Oh, this is a close shot of Bechtel and her dad <laughs> in a car driving to a movie. And there are some meaningful silences in some panels and some words in other panels. And it's playing on all this stuff that has happened before up to now. And uh, well, let me, so here's, let me tough. give you a quote from Bechtel that seems to justify your frustration. Uh, she said of her, of her work, it's very important for me that people be able to read the images in the same kind of gradually unfolding way as they're reading the text. I don't like pictures that don't have information in them. I want pictures that you have to read, that you have to decode, that take time, that you can get lost in. Otherwise, what's the point? Which is seems to be a testament to the uh, depth of information in these images. But yes, I think it supports your point, Andrew, that it could be difficult to convey them efficiently and concisely uh in an audio form when you're also trying to convey just what is happening in the story i, I feel well, for you my there, dude this page i'm looking at where i've just described some stuff to you it's, it's also got multiple levels of like literary illusion working like it is it is referencing the odyssey and also ulysses which i have not read and so i'm only kind of picking up stuff from context um so i'm gonna i'm gonna read some stuff and it's going to talk about Steven <laughs> and Bloom and those are characters from you. Yes, they are. All right. All right, cool. Um, they are, they're talking about, this is, this is them talking directly to each other, which is a thing that her dad especially seems just to feel un a little uncomfortable doing just like talking directly about their, their homosexual experiences or like her, her dad, might be bi like bisexuality doesn't really exist in this book as something that is discussed, but it's, you know, I just, I just want to make sure that I convey that it's the, it's the book that's doing this and not, and not me just like erasing by people. Yeah. I, okay. I, I read a cool. review of it um, from reading while queer on Tumblr that asked that kind of made that same point that Bechtel is making a call on this that is not necessarily actually like her father's full experience. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and so her dad is saying, when I was little, I, re I really wanted to be a girl. I dress up in girls clothes. And Allison says sort of excitedly, I wanted to be a boy. I dressed in boys clothes. Remember? And there is a long silence after that, where it is, this is internal monologue of, of Bechtel's or like Bechtel, the author now speaking as Bechtel and her dad, the characters just sit, sit there in awkward silence. Um, it was not the sobbing, joyous reunion of Odysseus and Telemachus. It was more like the fatherless Stephen and sunless Bloom having their equivocal late night cocoa at 7 Eccles Street. But which of us was the father? I had felt distinctly parental listening to his shamefaced recitation. And all too soon we were at the theater. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I don't know. Like it's okay. So you, you talked about what was it? What was the question that you asked that got us into this? Like, where does it leave them? Yeah. Where does it leave them? Where does it leave her? Like what, what are like, what is the closing, you know, gesture the, of the book? Sure, the, really? the closing line, the closing thought 
And I, I can read you the closing line and then I can tell you the closing image because they are, you know, they're, they're related, of course, because that's how comics work. Yep. <laughs> but it's, they're not literally the same. Um, is it's, I think what you're meant to come away with is like, my dad was not perfect. My dad could be abusive. He had relationships with boys who might have been underage. Um, he, you know. He, he was not he was not the greatest guy all the time, but he was there for me and like his his experience helped inform my own at a crucial juncture. And that is that is what I want to leave you with. Sure. Is, is the thing you walk away with. Um, he was there to catch me when I left is the last uh, line in the book. And the last image in the book is like a a. a child Bechtel on a diving board in a swimming pool, like jumping toward him mm. as he like has his hands reached out to, to catch her. Sure. Um, if she needs it. So there's a, there's an interview with her around when the, you know, about the experience of watching the musical, um, by Alicia Abbott, also at the Atlantic. And, um, they ask the, the only image from the book, is of her father like hoisting her in a game of airplane um when you like lift your kid up and play airplane oh i've done airplane don't know. worry about it. <laughs> um and she said it was a total surprise to her that it was in there there were elements of her drawings in the blocking but you know she knew that they were gonna probably not use all of them but it's like the final image in the blocking of the play it's the beginning image of the book and obviously it sounds like it has res- resonance with the end of the book um and she said, most of the time I was working on Fun Home, it began on what is now page three. Then I had the realization that what the book was really about is how I learned to be an artist from my father. And then she goes on to talk about bookending it with some of the James Joyce stuff um, and about being launched and caught by her father at the same time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's making me really rue that I have not, I did not actually get to see it when it was here in Philly. The The local production was apparently very good um well jake gyllenhaal is gonna gonna be there for you because yeah. the movie's being adapted from the musical and not from the just straight book from directly yeah, sure so sure. um yeah so good old jake is gonna be there to catch you when you jump <laughs> but yeah it's it's this has been an awkward episode for me because of external factors but also because graphic novels are t- like we don't do graphic novels very often we don't do nonfiction very often. <laughs> i really gave you a zinger and on so, this one <laughs> Well, and and I wanted to read it, and I am probably gonna go and read "Are You My Mother" just for not to make content out of it, like just to have read the thing. How dare you? And and yeah, like I I wanted to read it, but I keep reaching into my toolbox for my normal book discussing tools. Oh, sure, they're not, and they don't it's fit. like well, yeah, this like Phillips head screwdriver is not gonna fit into this like Torx. <laughs> screw like what am i supposed to do with this yeah that's true well i stole all your tools last night i don't know if you knew that but sorry well thank you also for doing that yeah um i had to use them (laughs) (laughs) uh but thanks for yeah i mean this is if if you are an amazon person this happens to be something you can read for free if you have like a prime subscription so we are we have we are moving away from buying stuff on Amazon just as like as a small business and also as something that we are recommending that you the listener go out and do but it's there 
Yeah. If if it is if it removes a barrier to reading this for you, I think it's worth doing. Cool. 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 Um, yeah, I I don't interpret my the difficulty I've had talking about it as like not not having enjoyed it or not thinking it's worthwhile or find... even like having trouble with its subject matter. It's just it is literally having trouble making a podcast about a a visual nonfiction book, which is something we never uh, do. Let me ask you a question you, you hopefully don't find too difficult to answer. Did you find right, it we'll see. did you find it difficult to read? Like the act of moving through it, the act of understanding like where she was trying to draw your attention, was that it sounds like it was more you're just you're having trouble like conveying what you took from it. You'd not that you yeah, had, no, yeah. it's not hard to read at all. Like, okay. it, it goes by really quickly, and it's it is always pretty clear what Bechtel is is hoping to convey to you in each chapter and and tell you about like her family and her dad and and what illusions she's trying to make and and on and on. Okay, okay, it's just harder to make a podcast about which we've had yeah. those episodes before we've had those episodes and i'll edit this a little bit in post and hopefully you'll come away wondering what we're talking about when i talk about how difficult it was uh if you the well thank you for telling me about it andrew i appreciate of course. it um, that's the thing that's how it go that is how it go if you the listener at home uh have read fun home or are you know you know stuff about the musical you want to tell us about you can shoot us an email at overduepod at gmail.com hit us up on social media twitter.com slash overdue pod and facebook.com slash overdue pod uh shout out to nick larangis who can who composed our new theme song i almost said confused which is not a verb it is a verb but not the verb i want but that's not what he did to it he made it he didn't bewilder it no he did just make it uh andrew if folks want to know more about the show where should they go they should go to overduepodcast.com. That's our website. Up there, we have links to Apple Podcasts and Google Play and our RSS feed. We're also available on Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you can find podcasts. We have a new listener page, which you can use to listen to some episodes of, I don't know, stuff that we thought we did go- a good job at. This episode probably is not going to end up up there, but there are other ones that are. Oh, my God. And uh, what else? Patreon.com slash overdue pod. Support the show financially, but we totally get it if you can't. And also we have uh, bookshop.org links up there on the website now. Support your local independent bookstore and support us at the same time. Coming up this month, you just heard Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. Next week uh, is us sharing our Hellboys bonus episode Inferno by Dan Brown. Following that, we have Candide by Voltaire, The Vegetarian by Han Kang, and The Unseen Attraction by K.J. Charles. That episode will feature Margaret H. Willison coming in to close out the month with us. There will also be a bonus episode, The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs, A New History of a Lost World by Stephen L. Brissett, a nonfiction book that I am very excited to read and tell Andrew all about dinosaurs. I can't can't wait to hear you tell me about dinosaurs. I am looking forward to learning things that I don't know. That's what I am... As, as I f- that's a tall order for any book about dinosaurs i think i tell you stuff you don't know like gee whiz here's what i do know about dinosaurs i love them there's a mm-hmm. lot of room for me to grow in terms of facts <laughs> is there any is there any fact about dinosaurs that you could learn that would make you like them less like they like smoke cigarettes all the time or something mm. i know that makes that them just make makes them, them cooler cooler doesn't it, <laughs> yeah. it does make them cooler um shoot 
I will have to ponder Maybe you that. You can't one. ruin dinosaurs. Could but. God make a dinosaur that I would like less? That's a good hmm. question. Hmm. Anyway, Andrew, get us out of here. Hmm. A jerkosaurus, oh maybe. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And until we come back at you next time, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.